situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the The castration of the major league baseball managers, we know it. Ask me about my winner. Going on, everybody, another edition of the Past Fall Show. I uh, want to open today's program by throwing a good question at you, and I want you to think about this for a little while. Um, when it comes to football, there is no more important position on the field than the quarterback. The way the game has changed, um, the roles benefit the offense, but the most important part of a football team, the best opportunity they have to win or lose is centered around the quarterback position. What can be done to best assure that the most qualified individuals are available to play that position? In spite of the coronavirus, in spite of injuries, all different things that could happen over the course of the season, what would be the best plan to ensure that the best and most qualified to play the quarterback position are available to play it during the National Football League season. When it comes to the greatest offensive position players to ever play in baseball, um, as I've spoken about my book, when it comes to defining the different generations and eras that have happened over the course of baseball history, uh, a lot of times it's going to be centered around different type of qualifications. If you go prior to the dead ball era, you're not going to judge somebody by the amount of home runs that they hit. It's just not fair. It's not fair to do that that way. Now, as, you're, as we're looking for the greatest players that play in a game right now, they're all centered around the same thing. The same thing is what? Home runs, right? You got players hitting home runs, players drawing walks on base percentage, slugging percentage. Those are the two most important statistics when we're trying to judge what players are the best at play right now. They all have the highest OPS, which we know is the combination of the latter two statistics. Now, is there any chance that a player that could play the game differently today can get the accolades of the top players in the sport as it's played right now. I think that's another good question to throw out there. Somebody that, let's say, just hits for a really high batting average. They get on base, but they get on base because they get a whole bunch of hits. That's how they get on base. Would that player be respected today on the level of some of the top players, the players with the highest wins above replacement, but most importantly, the players with the highest OPS. And that gets me to the Tony Gwynn discussion. And there's so much slander that is thrown away of Tony Gwynn. And by the way, you know, how could you not like Tony Gwynn? There's few players that exemplify the way baseball was supposed to be played. A great smile on his face would always give you the right answer, was a, a media darling. If you're a fan of baseball, how could you not be a fan? Of Tony Gwynn. But now the judgment is out there to say that Tony Gwynn doesn't hit for a high enough OPS. And pretty much Tony Gwynn's OPS is down when it comes to the entirety of his career because of one thing. 
He didn't hit for a ton of power. And you know what? In the history of Major League Baseball, there have been a lot of players that have become all-time greats that didn't hit for a ton of power. I think of the second greatest ball player of all time, the second greatest offensive position player, first not named Babe Ruth, and it's Tyrus Cobb. Ty Cobb was the epitome of the way baseball was supposed to be played. You think of the guy that surpassed him down the road and should also be in baseball's Hall of Fame, Pete Rose. Pete Rose got on base. Pete Rose put the ball into play. Pete Rose caused disruption on the bases. Pete Rose, as an offensive player, made his team better. Now, listen, I'm not going to turn this into a discussion of why Pete Rose should be considered uh, you know, amongst the greatest of all time. You know, that, that wouldn't be a fair enough discussion. And I'm not going to do that because that, that's not part of what I want to talk about today. Tony Gwynn hit 338 in his career. Tony Gwynn had an on-base percentage of 388 over the course of his career. Now, the naysayers that'll knock Tony Gwynn will say, well, that's only 50 points higher than his batting average. But the fact that he hit 338, no player in the history of Major League Baseball since Ted Williams retired after the 1960 season has finished their career with a higher batting average than Tony Gwynn's 338. He was the epitome of a base hit type of hitter. You know, he did have over 500 doubles. Yes, he takes a lot of criticism for not hitting a ton of home runs. He wasn't a power hitter. He put the ball into play. And you know what? In the modern game, the way it's set up right now, fans would not be happy about that. They would hate the fact that Tony Gwynn isn't taking strike one, that Tony Gwynn isn't trying to work a three-ball, two-strike count. And you know what? Maybe it's okay or acceptable to look back at a player and say that they didn't play the game the way you expected to be played now, but he still played it pretty freaking well. And here's another thing that I want to get into, which I laugh about because I think this is the worst argument you can make about Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn never struck out. He didn't strike out that often. In fact, over the course of his Major League Baseball career, he struck out 434 times in 20 years. Now, there's players that have approached that in two seasons. And you say, oh, the game was played differently, yada, yada, yada. Tony Gwynn didn't hit for any power, so therefore he didn't take any chances. And Tony Gwynn, over the course of his career, hit in 259 double plays. So Tony Gwynn, by not striking out as much as some of the big-time strikeout guys, did ended up hitting it into some double plays. But did you factor in the obvious? The fact that he hit 338 for his career meant that how many times when that average player that you're talking about right now struck out? How many times did Tony Gwynn go out there and get a base hit? What would you rather have? And, I, and, and tell me. If you're, if you're so big on Tony Gwynn not striking out that much, but he hit into some double plays, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a player strike out, or would you rather, rather have a player hit in a friggin' base hit? Get a base hit. They're getting out base anyway, just as good as your walks. So when it comes to the Tony Gwynn double play argument, in the history of Major League Baseball, Tony Gwynn ranks in over, in over 10,000 plate appearances 33rd all-time in total double plays grounded into. Now, who was number one overall? 
Well, you look at a player that's got almost 13,000 at-bats, that's Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols, not a fast guy. Um, strikeouts were a little bit down, so therefore his double plays were up. But you'd be surprised some of the players that are up here amongst the all-time grounded in the double plays list. Cal Ripken's number two. Miguel Cabrera's number three. Pudge Rodriguez is number four. Henry Aaron is number five. Carl Yastrzemski, Dave Winfield, Eddie Murray, tied with Jim Rice, and Julio Franco is your top 10. 11 through 20 real quick, because I think some of these names are important to remember. Harold Baines, Brooks Robinson, Rusty Staub, Derek Jeter, Ted Simmons, Robinson Cano, Joe Torre, Paul Canarco, Adrian Beltre, and then a tie for 20th with Vladimir Guerrero, Yadier Molina, George Scott, and Miguel Tejada. Now, what do all those players that actually rank at the moment ahead of Tony Gwynn and double plays have in common? None of those players, and let me just go check to be sure because I didn't miss anybody, not one of those players had a career batting average anywhere near 338 for their career. So I'll take the Tony Gwynn 256 double plays and rank in 33rd all time for the fact that he didn't strike out that much and he hit 338 for his career. Now, you say the game is centered around exit velocity and launch angle, amongst other things. You you also have the shift, which is something that players are having a hard time adapting to, which I think is another reason that batting averages are so far down. But I'm very curious because at some point, a team probably decided to shift on Tony Gwynn even though he was a a very good spray hitter throughout the entirety of his career, was able to put the ball in play, hit the ball the other way. But I think Tony Gwynn would have been fine with a shift. He would have hit the ball left field all the time. He he never insisted on pulling the ball, but if if he was given an inside pitch, he'd pull it and drive it, and he'd get his share of hits. But Tony Gwynn's 338 batting average through the year of 2001 is an amazing accomplishment by itself. And I look at Tony Gwynn, and I just I just think it's insane. Not not just because of the fact that he's dead, which you know certainly it's it's not fair to pick on a player that you know is no longer alive and is not here to defend themselves. But the slander that's put out there to try to put Tony Gwynn down as if he wasn't one of the top fifty offensive position players to ever play baseball is an asinine argument. He had over 3,000 hits. He didn't stumble to 3,000 hits. He had one, two, three, four, five. Five 200-hit seasons. His batting average from the years of 1984, I'm sorry, 1986 through 2001 was never below 317. Actually, go 84 to 2001. So 18 years. He never hit below 317 in a season. Most years hit batting averages like 336, 358, 394, 370, 368, 353, 372, 321, 338, 323, 324. And you're going to say batting average doesn't matter. Well, maybe in a game right now, batting average doesn't matter. But if you're talking about somebody to hit 338, he didn't walk that much. But he almost had twice as many walks as strikeouts, 790 walks to 434 strikeouts, 
A 388 on base percentage is still a 388 on base percentage. And you know what I would rather have? I'd rather have a player with a 388 on base percentage with a 338 batting average than have a 388 on base percentage guy with a 260 batting average and 150 strikeouts. Because those 150 strikeouts, outside of the rare occasion where the catcher drops the third strike and the ball gets away far enough for the runner, the batter to get the first base, that that batter has forfeited the at-bat with the strikeout. At least I know Tony Gwynn's putting the ball into play, and when he's getting base hits, that means he's definitely on base. And at times that he's putting the ball into play and not striking out, hey, the fielder can miss a ball. Um, there could be some havoc caused on the base pass. There's a way Tony Gwynn could reach by simply just making contact. And guess what? 259 grounded into double plays, 33rd all-time, ranks below some players that you wouldn't expect to be up there, like the Henry Aarons and the Carl Yastrzemskis and the Cal Ripkins and the Derek Jeters. So back to the point that I teased the show with, the issue when it comes to starting quarterbacks in the National Football League. We've watched over the last couple games where there's replacement-level quarterbacks And I'm not throwing a shot or shade towards the way of Nick Mullins or Garrett Gilbert. But if you're sitting on an NFL team's practice squad, that means you're certainly not amongst the top 64 quarterbacks in the National Football League. And two times in the last three days, talking about games that were pushed back, you saw a starting quarterback on a football field for a team that really shouldn't have been there. First two quarterbacks of the Cleveland Browns, first two quarterbacks of the Washington football team, all unavailable to play because of the coronavirus. And he saw it happen last year with the Denver Broncos. And their entire quarterback room was diminished because of the coronavirus. And they ended up having to do something crazy. They actually had to play a kid at quarterback that wasn't a quarterback. Now, they made an excuse for him. They tried to stick up for him. They tried to say, hey, well, when he played at Wake Forest, he, he played a little bit of quarterback, so he kind of had some idea of what he was doing. Now, there's a difference between playing in a National Football League as a quarterback and playing in a National Football League as a wide receiver. And Kendall Hinton, who I give him a ton of credit for stepping up and playing in that game, that was important. Because of that, the Denver Broncos were not competitive that day. And there's a problem with that. There's a problem with the coronavirus taking out the most important position as it exists in the National Football League. That's going to determine whether teams win or lose games. Did Denver win that game last year where Kendall Hinton started as their quarterback? No. Did the Cleveland Browns win the game this year when Nick Mullins started at quarterback for them? No. Did the Washington football team win the game that Garrett Gilbert was their quarterback this past season? No. So, I don't know if you've had a little chance to think about it. Have you come up with an answer of what you think the National Football League should do when it comes to making sure that players are prepared to play the most important position on the pro football field? I got a couple ideas. So, number one, 
we're talking about the XFL a couple of years ago, which I thought was a league that was on the rise up until the coronavirus outbreak and the fact that the season was canceled, never got back going. Hey, you're going to see the XFL in 2022. Listen, I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing for the NFL because I think the importance out there should be to get the NFL a solid quality developmental league to make sure players are ready to play in a National Football League you know, quickly. And it's even more imperative right now because of the coronavirus and outbreaks and the fact that you don't know week from week what players are going to test positive and what players are not going to test positive. Because of that, you need to make sure that you have players, not only that are practicing, but players that are actually in game shape ready to take the reins and the bull by the horns and perform at the most important position in a National Football League. How else do you do that outside of having a developmental league playing at the exact same time as the National Football League? One of the things you've seen with games getting postponed, obviously Thursday night football is a is an every week thing now. You got Saturday games when the college football season's over. You got Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Thursday. And now you got games on Tuesday because of postponements because of outbreaks. Why not use the other two days that you have, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, to have football played seven days a week? Have the XFL or the Alliance of American Football or the CFL or the USFL or whatever other league that you want, not to compete with the NFL, but to supplement the NFL by having active games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays every week. Number one, the diehard football fan that can't get enough of football, that's obsessed with the sport, that all they do is eat, breathe, sleep, and you know do anything when it comes to football, can watch their football every day. That person's happy. But most importantly, you have quarterbacks, skill players, playing at a high level, performing, doing great things, and they're ready with a flick of a wrist could go in there and play at the highest level. Imagine Josh Johnson as he was starring in the XFL. P.J. Walker was a, a great quarterback in the XFL for the four weeks. If those players were playing every week and there was an injury or a coronavirus outbreak, I'd rather have one of those guys start than somebody that's just sitting there on somebody's practice squad. So I think it's important for the NFL to consider working with a potential developmental league. Think about the NBA, the G League, which I don't think the NBA is using the best out of its G League, by the way. You know, there should be players come, you know, the entire G League rosters should be depleted for players playing in the NBA because teams can't play. You know, you don't have enough players. Grab some players from the G League. And I think that's part of the reason why the NBA has actually withstood the coronavirus outbreak better than the NHL. There's just more players that are close enough that can get on the NBA basketball court. But I just think it's so important when it comes to the NFL to make sure that there's competence at the quarterback position. And like I said, this isn't a shot at Nick Mullins. This ain't a shot at Garrett Gilbert. This ain't a shot at Kendall Hinton. You know, you are what you are. And by the way, Colin Kaepernick, if he if he considers himself in good shape, why isn't he in any consideration 
to get under center and play in an NFL game? Would he have given the Browns a better chance to win than Nick Mullins? Would he have given the Washington football team a better chance to win than Garrett Gilbert? Would he, I think he certainly would have given the Denver Broncos a better chance of winning last year than Kendall Hinton. But, you know, that narrative is still going to exist. And the NFL had a chance to correct this. The NFL had a chance to look better and not look like it blackballed Colin Kaepernick just because of what he said and because he knelt for the national anthem. And I personally don't care how you feel about it, but the guy should have the right to work. And the fact that that was taken away from him, from him was an absolute tra- travesty and was an embarrassment on society. That you can say, hey, freedom of speech exists. Unless you say something that we don't want you to say, then you shouldn't have the right to work anymore. That's what I'm going to close this show on today. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. I hope you listen to my argument when it comes to Tony Gwynn. Um, had some good back and forth on Twitter about Tony Gwynn and his status as an all-time great player. It's hard to see it now. And I think a lot of players are looking too much in. A lot of people are looking too much into the statistics, studying OPS a little too much. You can't blame somebody that wasn't a home run hitter for not hitting home runs. And my uh, analogy, which like most of my analogies are an exaggeration, I said blaming Tony Gwynn for not hitting home runs is like blaming a running back in the National Football League for not getting enough interceptions. And I didn't say receptions. Because you know what? Catching a football is part of the running back's responsibility now. The greater running backs catch the ball out of the backfield. So it's not receptions. I said interceptions. Yes, he's not playing defense. Tony Gwynn's not swinging for defenses. So therefore, he can't be blamed for not hitting enough home runs. He had a 388 on base percentage, which is just as great as many hitters that walk their way to it. The fact that he hit 338 for his career, yes, batting average is not that important, but his stats over time withstand it, withstand the test of time. 388 on base percentage is pretty damn impressive, especially for a guy that only walked 790 times in over 10,000 plate appearances in his career. We'll be back with you next week. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, looks like we're probably going to be with you. I'm not going to do a show Christmas. I don't think anybody's going to be around to listen to it. Not that anybody listens anyway. But I'm thinking Monday, Wednesday, something like that next week. So anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America, send my way. You could tweet at me at John underscore Pielli. You could also email me at jrpielli at gmail.com. So until next week, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. Now they come out as the biggest... Major League Baseball manager apologist. And only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park, I'm supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm going to play the dude.
only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Tony Mack, who you can say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if, if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. Damn well right, better give him a contract extension. You damn well right, better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion. 